We have found ourselves studying quite a few people in Genesis, a lot of people that are kind of turning away from God and a lot of people that are turning toward God in Genesis, and they get themselves caught in this pattern of sin, and today we'll learn the outcome of someone who stands with righteousness in the sense that he's standing with Jesus, and then he rejects Jesus. Today we're going to be talking about Judas. An Old Testament Judas would be similar to like an Esau but a little bit different path. One of them got to walk very close to Jesus, and one of them did not. We passed up the story a little bit, and now we're going to go back to it because we went to John chapter 13 last week, and this week we're going to go back to John chapter 12 to pick up some of the details of Judas and and why he may have wanted to betray Jesus. John gives us a few more context clues than what we're privy to in Mark, Luke, or Matthew. And so I had to go back and jump and grab those. We see this story in Matthew chapter 26 and in John chapter 12. There's a meal that happens at Bethany. And there was a woman there that anoints Jesus with this very expensive jar of perfume. And the perfume would have been very expensive. It would have been, it would cost her uh, quite a bit. And as she anoints this, and she wipes up this perfume with her hair. The disciples, it says in Matthew, begin to rebuke her. But in John chapter 12, we see that the rebuke, it mainly comes from Judas. It says, Judas, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple whom would be later betray him, said, the perfume was worth a year's wages, it should not have been sold and the money given to the should it not have been sold and the money given to the poor not that he cared for the poor he was a thief and since he was in charge of the disciples money he often stole some for himself jesus replied leave her alone she did this in preparation for my burial you will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me is what christ replies right after this rebuke that judas receives we see that in in Matthew chapter 26, verse 14 through 16, if you want to follow along there, you're more than welcome to. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to be betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to, to betray Jesus. Well, as we know, at the Last Supper, that's the beginning of the scenario of Judas's betrayal. And first, though, I want to talk about the betrayal of the heart. Because if you look at Judas's pattern as he, as he walks along, his heart has gone and drifted away from the Lord first before he goes out and physically gives up Jesus. And we see this many times in many relationships as well. If I say this in dating for young people, I say this if you ever, um, heaven forbid, were to stray away from your husband or wife, it's the heart that strays first, and then the body would stray soon after. And so it's the, the emotional heart that would go first, and then the physical body would come after. For kids in dating, I would say guard your heart because... Um, if you have 
if you give them your heart, then your body's soon to follow. Okay, and so that's something that's very important to me, and I think it's also important for each one of us that the Lord put it in there that we need to to guard the heart, right? Because it's a wellspring of evil. It's it's that craving to do what we want to do or what we think we should do. So before the act of betrayal here, we have a divided heart in Judas. He sees many things in in the opportunity to uh, make some money or to follow Jesus, and the money tends to be winning at this point in time. And this is a lot like ourselves, right? In our lives, we have, I, we have seen people pull away or they have a change of attitude. They have a change of attitude when it comes to maybe church or maybe it comes to a friendship. The friendship is just a little bit off. You sense something's off, but they don't want to say what it is. It's because their heart is drifting away from you and, and, and you're sorrowed by this. You want to get that, make that right, but if they're not willing to make that right, uh, then you got to ask the questions, you know, why, why is this happening? What, what do we have in this? And something feels off, and then la- yesterday we talked about it as the harmony. Like we talked about this in the, in the body of believers. We went to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter. And if you looked at, at the, in 12, it, it talks about that the body works in harmony with one another. And I remember when we were going through some things here at White Rose, there was people, we'd walk into the room and said, it just feels like there's something off. There's just something wasn't quite right and things. And it's that harmony that's not there. It's not playing well with one another. And I've seen that in many churches uh, throughout the years, the three that I've been a part of uh, immensely, but I've also walked into other churches where just feels like the harmony's off, and there's um, there's reconciliation needs to happen. There's a humility that needs to come across there, and um, that's what we see between the relationship with Jesus and Judas. Judas, um, evidently, he didn't sign up for this. What Jesus was telling him to do, he didn't sign up to to come across and. And sell perfume. He wanted to sell perfume and make some money, you know, instead of anointing Jesus. He he either saw what he saw that Jesus is gonna die and that he's preparing them, or he was utterly controlled by greed, or a little bit of both. And we'll talk about that in a minute or so. So we see in John chapter twelve, his heart was com- captured by the love of money. It's what it says, and so we're going to go with the scripture. So let's pause to weigh, to lay down some groundwork here. In I'm going to tell you what my theology is. I'm not going to say that my theology is right. I think it is based in God's word, but uh, there's some room to. I'm not going to say necessarily yours is wrong. There's there's some right theology and some wrong theology. Here's one of the ways that it's right. Okay, so I believe that God has called us all into his saving grace. He calls everyone. He doesn't just call Christians. He doesn't just call uh, the saved. I think he calls everyone to his saving grace. Okay? I believe that each one of those, there's a calling in each one of our hearts, and it's up to us whether we're going to answer that call. Not everybody believes that. That's what I believe. But I believe that all can be saved. I will, I will 
If I think I have an opportunity to reach out to the gospel to somebody, I'm going to take that opportunity. I'm not going to say, well, God, you're just going to, you witness to him. That's your, that's your job ultimately, right? But he chooses to use us as a church to witness to others. So I believe all can be saved. And I believe his grace is too valuable to be purchased or earned. His grace is so amazing, it's so priceless because it, it has, comes with the price of Jesus Christ, right? So if you look at the price, it was the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and that is too valuable for me to taint that with saying, well, I can earn that grace, or I can purchase that grace. What can I do to earn? How can I get into the kingdom of heaven? There's nothing I can do except for surrender to Christ Jesus, right? and his way, and once I surrender to him, then I can get into heaven. We've talked about that, and I hit that ad nauseum because I don't think it has been emphasized enough today. So um, I believe that God is willing to give his grace freely when we ask for it. It's a free gift. Uh, salvation is a free gift. He will give it freely and I think the better we understand that, the harder that salvation sticks. Uh, that's a little bit, I could go either way along. I've seen it. You know, I've seen people have no clue on salvation and have no clue on Jesus. And they, that's what I want. And I've seen them walk through that. So that's not necessarily true. But I think I've also seen people who walk into it um, in depth and then they surrender. I see them walking deeper. Um, but that's not necessarily true. It's, it's how much they allow God to come in and how much they're willing to surrender is what it really comes down to. So I believe that while the idea of accepting God's grace and therefore salvation is very simple, it is very difficult for us to surrender to God's will in our lives. We have this will that we do want, want to give up. It is the thing that we treasure the most, I think, in our free will that we have the ability to accept or reject Jesus Christ. And when we give that up to him, we're saying like, well, I'm never going to be the same person. I'm never going to have this. I'm never going to have all these things. Uh, the Bible's always telling me what I shouldn't do. And that's just not true. Because when we find boundaries, in a sense, we talk about it as a fence. We have a fence on, on to where we're not supposed to go. And if we know where that boundary is, we can walk in the light. As he is in the light, and he's going to direct us along the path that is correct. He says he gives us a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I would say he tells us what our next step is, and he shows us where heaven is, right? So that's where we're going. That's some of my theology, and when we turn our lives over to Christ in surrender to him, when we get, excuse me, to heaven, we are justified before God because Christ is there advocating for us, saying, no, I, this one has taken my mark. He is saved by my blood, and I am going, to, he's a child of God, right? That point right there, that little conversation we just had, that's justification, Okay, that's the Christianese word for that. So we're justified in the presence of God to walk into heaven. So you look at him and he says, well, Shane can't get there by himself. But now that he has the blood of Jesus covering his sins, now he can walk in. You know, he's got the stamp on his forehead of Christ's follower and he's going to go. I think it'll look a lot like the discounted beef for me. Um, just kidding. Uh, 
I don't think that's, we, we don't want to cheapen the cost of, of our salvation, do we? Um, so we stand before the judgment throne justified, right? I am no longer defined by my sin. I am defined by the blood of Jesus, I, which washes away that sin. And God's grace, which accepts me as a surrendered child of God, I did nothing. He did everything. It's only Jesus, right? And so that's how my life starts to turn. How can I give God the praise? How can I give him the glory and honor? How can I walk through the pain and allow him to lead through that pain too? And so as we go through this, I don't generally get hung up on this, but I also have to define this because of what Judas is going to do today. I don't, I don't like to talk about this really that much, but I will. It's eternal security. I am not worried about it because I know where I'm going to go. Now, I will define it as that there's, I know where I'm going to go when I die, So, but there's two sides of the coin when it comes to talk about eternal security, right? Um, there's once saved, always saved. So once you accept Jesus into your Lord and you have the sincere, heartfelt knowledge that that's going to happen, um, you're going to go to heaven no matter what your life style looks like. Um, and I think it comes down to the sincerity of your heart there. The second view is that man has the free will. And, it, and it, in a sense, that man ha- can walk in and out of God's grace, and therefore they can walk in and out of salvation, which is where I lean a little bit more toward. But I think it's a blend of d- both those folks. It is, it is something in the middle that we won't uh, be able to understand because that is the struggle that we always go through. Am I saved? Am I not? Am, am I secure? Am I not? And I think when you start seeing Christ in your actions, eternal security makes more sense that I'm saved, right? Um, but I think there's a, a step there where you have to walk in faith um, to understand that you are secure in your faith and secure in where you're going. And so there's a blend of both. And, um, and it, what it really comes down to is the sincerity of each man's heart. I'm not here to judge, nor can I judge that, because that's Christ's job, right? It is between you and Christ. Um, but I can also look at your actions and know, have a pretty good idea of where you're going to go when you die. Well, how do you know that, Pastor House? Well, I've read First John, which deals a lot with that. Um, I've also read James, who addresses that very much so. And the Beatitudes of Christ really are the roadmap of, if you accept Christ, you surrender to Christ, you, um, you commit him as Lord of your life, and then you're going to be persecuted because he's your Lord. Okay, that's... That's what the Beatitudes, how they break it down, okay? But I am not here to judge, but Christ says that he is, and he is coming back to judge too. We've studied Revelation. We've looked at Revelation chapter 2, verse 23. It says, he says this, To all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and the intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. Therefore, Pastor House will not judge, 
according to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. But I will try to restore each of my brothers and sisters gently, according to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, when they are off, and I hope that, I, that you will do the same for me as well. Right? So, now that we've talked about all these very comfortable topics for me to talk about, um, I believe that there are people who profess their faith in Jesus Christ, and then they move away from their faith in Jesus Christ, okay? That's a little bit more Arminian, and not everybody in this room believes that, okay? Not even all our elders believe that, okay? That's where I tend to fall on the fence. And you can flip that the other way. You can say that um, they never were sincere in the first place, okay? So people who have grown up in the church and now they don't walk with the Lord, we, they would either say that they were never sincere in their profession of faith or there was a time where they walked away. Either case, they are not following the Lord correctly right now. And friends, this is Judas's story. This is Judas's story, right? We see a guy that has walked with Jesus for three years. He's seen a miracle after miracle after miracle. He's seen teaching after teaching after teaching, and he sees that he is not going where he wants to go, and he turns away from the Lord. So either he has never made a profession of faith, or he was not sincere in his profession in the first place. Okay, so Judas is a good example of this. Judas was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was with Jesus every day for three years. And I believe Judas has a good understanding of who Jesus was, and he still chose to reject him. At Bethany, when the woman anointed Jesus for his death, um, there was a major aha moment for Judas and said, this is not what I want. I don't want to be a servant. I don't want... Uh, I don't want Jesus to die. I don't want whatever it may be. I want to have this earthly kingdom, and it's not happening, and we need to uh, change the ship, turn it, and so I'm going to either pressure Jesus into doing something that he wouldn't normally do and manifest himself as the Messiah, or I'm going, he's going to die because he's not the real deal. Um, it could be all, many of those different um, scenarios, but it, Ultimately, he abandoned Jesus. Before Jesus could get to the good part, before Jesus could get to the resurrection, Judas took matters into his own hands. And it's really sad. Jesus was there. He was setting the example, and, and Judas took his life in his own hands. He started with the betrayal of his heart. He says, I am going to go and start working for the other team. So here's a plea from my heart to yours. Don't abandon Jesus Christ. He is an ex he's of extreme value. And it, it is worth any cost to follow Jesus. It is worth any cost. And he can when we can't he can do it when we can't and he is the hope when it seems hopeless and when we feel like we can't move forward he is the umption and our gumption to give us that next step 
right? You were wondering if I could fit umption in your gumption in a sermon I just did. Uh, Jesus, he sets the example for us to follow with these three areas, guarding our heart, loving our enemies, and giving us hope. And that was point number one, was guarding our heart. So we have an importance to guard our heart so it does not betray us. Let's look at the second point, which is loving our enemies. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start in verse 20 through 25, and then we'll skip down to 47 through 50 because we're looking at Jesus' story. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 20 through 25. It says, When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he says, I tell you the truth, one of you will, be, will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? He replied, One of you who has just eaten from the bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible would it be for the one who betrays him? It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. Then skip down to verse 47. This is after the, the meal, after the garden. He is in the garden. Uh, Jesus has prayed three times. He gets up and he says, here my betrayer is upon me. And says, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs, and they had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prepared signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus, greeting, greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed and kissed and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go and do what you have come for. What a powerful, powerful act of betrayal that we have here. It brings us to our second point, is to love your enemy. Love our enemies as ourselves. And to pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is in the garden. I can't help but think that he was praying for Judas as at this time was coming as well. Because God is love and he knows how to love better than we Last week, we, we had studied that Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, and Jesus had washed Judas' feet, as we know. A true act of love through servant-style leadership. Again, we see in verse 23 that Jesus dips his hand into the bowl with Judas that would declare a close friendship with Judas between the two men. Jesus is trying to remind Judas of the relationship that they had had over the years and could continue to have in the future. Don't forget what we've done. Don't forget where we are at. I'm extending my hand of friendship to you. Don't betray me like this, Judas. It would be better if you had not even been born for you to act, do this act of betrayal. This is a dark road. You do not want to go down it. Please don't do this, Judas. I think that's a plea that we have in that act. And Jesus, 
we see, continues to walk down the path of love even when his enemy is sitting right next to him. Most likely, if he was sitting on his left, that he was sitting on his back, that Jesus would show ultimate trust in Judas because you never want to get stabbed in the back, right? And Jesus is putting himself even in in that instance and in a very vulnerable position, showing Judas that um, I'm pleading for you through my actions. And yet, Jesus never changes his message. Jesus never condemns Judas. He always shows him how much he loves him. He continues to love in spite of the betrayal. He knows what's going to happen. He continues to love Judas right up and through his kiss of betrayal, which is used to be a kiss of friendship. You notice how Judas has mocked that friendship with a kiss of betrayal. And I even listened to... Um, Oh, to Baruch, and he said the way that he used the word rabbi would be um, a little bit of a mocking tone. It's not the traditional rabbi teacher, uh, but it'd be like a rabbi um, exalted one. And so how do you do that? How do you love like that? How do you love like Jesus loved? Well, one, Jesus was willing to die for his enemies, and his friends. Before Christ even came into the world, he had already made a decision that he was going to die for each one of us to rescue us from the present evil age, and he was willing to die for all. It says in John chapter 15, 13, it says, There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for friends. Yet Jesus laid his life down for all. He wiped out all sin, not just for those he loved, Jesus nailed all sin to the cross. He suffered for you and I that we might live. He implores each one of us to choose life. God is a God of life. He's willing to die that we might have life. That's how precious that life is to him. That's how important it is to him that he is willing to battle sin and death so we can have life. Number two, Jesus looks past the problem and he sees the solution. There's a brick wall that comes up in front of, of Christ in his friend that is going to betray him. He sees also that he's going to have to die. And is he going to be able to break through that wall of death as it comes through? And Satan tries his best to use suffering to destroy Jesus' integrity, to get him to cry out, to get him to lash out in anger incorrectly, to get him to fall into despair. And Christ does not do any of those things. He perseveres on and pushes through the wall. Jesus understood that the conflict of our sin because he had been tempted the same way that we have. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure it. And Christ found a way out for him 
to not sin. But as the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. He led Judas right up to the end, to the water. You have the opportunity. Don't do this, don't do this. But Judas wouldn't drink. We must train ourselves to look past the problem, folks. We can't get hung up on the problem. We've got to look toward the solution. Ultimately, the, sol the solution is Jesus Christ. The solution is always Jesus Christ. The solution is always heaven. But sometimes we can't see the next step. We need a brother or sister to come alongside us to help show us the next way. So we must train ourselves to look past this problem and don't settle for stuck. We talked about this at men's group as well, right? So if you get stuck on a math problem, what do you do? You go ask the teacher. You go ask a fellow friend. Uh, if you get stuck on uh, a problem in English, you can't get the sentence to come out. You go ask advice from a, another author um, or another classmate, right? And you say, well, how can we say this better? We don't settle for stuck. We ask for help. And our first act of surrender could be an act of asking the Lord for help. I can't do this by myself. I can't do this. And I think a daily act of surrender is asking the Lord. I can't do this by myself. I need your help. But don't settle for stuck. Before we get into the situation, we need to come up with a plan to get out of the situation. It is better to be prepared than to react, right? It's better to see the situation. I've walked into this three or four times in my marriage. I've walked into this three or four times at my work. I've walked through this three or four times in my relationship with my brother or sister or my kids. How can I break this pattern so I don't walk into a fourth and the fifth time? I come up with a plan to work through that I can do with compassion to walk out of this situation. Sometimes it requires us to walk away and to come back so we don't blow up. Sometimes it requires us to set up a boundary. So when we walk into this, that we know the next step's going to go once that boundary's hit. And we have a plan toward that solution. And when we can do that, it sets up some structure in that relationship and allows us to have a little sanity when we want to go insane, right? With anger or with depression or with loathing, right? But we can replace that with, well, we have each one of these things that we can walk into and go from here. So Jesus came to serve and not be served, right? That's the third one. Jesus came to serve and not be served. So Jesus was willing to humble himself even to death, death on the cross in the worst way through torture of, of the crucifixion. And we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 9, that as Christ sets that example for us, we need to follow. It says, so humble ourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all the worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and, he, and be strong in your faith. 
remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. There's no problem that is uncommon to the Lord. He understands all of them, right? First, it says to humble yourself. I can't do this on my own. I can't. Um, and maybe I could do it on my own. Maybe this time I could, but I'm going to do it this time with you, Lord. I want your help with me. Will you walk with me to do this together? Sometimes that's a, a humility that we choose not to use because we can do this all by myself. Here's a great example of that one. Um, you ever lose anything? Lose a button on your shirt or, or you can't find your hairbrush. It's, it's around your comb or whatever it may be. We, use, we can't find hairbrushes around our house a lot of times. We've got about four different ones for different situations and wet hair, dry hair, and all the tangled hair, and the, you need the straight hair, and you need the um, doing, up, doing up the hair. They all take different brushes, apparently. Um, and uh, I use every one of them. They work fine in my hair, so I don't know. But I'm just kidding. I understand now that I've done hair just a little bit, okay? But we lose those hair brushes, right? And I've gotten to the point where I'm like, well, I can find that hairbrush. I know where that hairbrush is. But I also know that if I just say a quick prayer and say, Lord, if you help me find that hairbrush, it'd be greatly appreciated. Um, you know how many times I find that hairbrush a lot faster after I pray than after I say, I can do this all by myself. It's a micro lesson that the Lord's teaching me through a hairbrush, right? And if we learn those micro lessons, when it gets to the macro lessons of uh, should I go this way in my life or should I go this way in my life? One way is going to lead to life and one of them is going to lead to death. It's a lot easier to know to go to life because I've surrendered in the little. Now I can surrender in the big, right? So that's, you, you wonder why you lose that hairbrush. Now you know. It's, it's because the Lord's working on your life. Humble yourself. Ask the Lord of his mighty power. He can work in the little. He can work in the big. Amen. So the next thing, CJ Hannah boy. Um, stay alert and watch out. Stay alert and watch out. The devil is prowling around. Does, does the devil growl before he prowls? No, he prowls before he growls, right? He prowls, and when he's got you, then he roars. It's a roar of victory for him, and we do not want to hear the devil roar. And when he does, we need to be um, looking for our brothers and sisters and either asking them for help because he just caught me or I need to go help them because he just caught them. That's what the body of believers does. We work together for Christ's good and not ours. And then we need to stand firm and be strong in our faith. Well, it's easier for you to say, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I, yeah, I don't. And part of that is your fault, because you haven't told me, right? Well, I have told you, Pastor, and we haven't done anything about it. Well, that's right, I haven't, because Christ is the authority in that, not Pastor House. And if you rely on Pastor House, I'm sorry to say that you're going to get very, very disappointed. But if you rely on the power of Jesus Christ, 
there's always hope, there's always faithfulness, and there's always chance for victory, um, even the way you think it might happen, right? Sometimes, a lot of times, it's the way we don't think it's going to happen, though. So remember, there are brothers and sisters going through the same thing. Remember that there's that we are not alone, that Christ is going to lift us up and we have a chance to do that because Christ sets the example for us on how to follow in these three areas. First was guard your heart. Second was love our enemies. And the last one is to give us hope. Now, we're going to read about a guy that had no hope because he did not choose Jesus. And you're going to find out that we can find hope in this situation. So Matthew 27, verses 1 through 10, we're going to read about Judas and how he did not turn out very well. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. And then they bound him, they led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. We talked about contrition. Remember that I, what I've done is wrong. This is this is Judas right now. He has got a contrite heart. Okay, so he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. says, I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That is your problem. Basically stacking it all on Judas, even though it was just as much their problem. And Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, and he went out, and he hanged himself. The leading priests they got up on their soapboxes and, and their pedestals, and they picked up the coins and says, it wouldn't be right for us to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field, that, and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. This is why the field is still called the field of blood, and this fulfills a prophecy of Jeremiah that says they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price which was valued by the people of Israel, and they purchased a potter's field as the Lord directed. Folks, don't lose hope. Judas lost hope. He had contrition, but he didn't ask for forgiveness. He knew what he'd done was wrong, but he took that into his own hands and did not seek the Lord he didn't think the Lord could be found because the Lord was about ready to die. Jesus can always be found. He can always defend and, and go on the offensive. Friends, I can promise you your death does not make anything better. When we choose life, Christ always chooses life. And taking your own life into your own hands by your own hands is not the solution it is a lie from satan suicide is not the answer if you were going if you were thinking that this is the way to go then you're going the wrong way and if you if it didn't work out for judas it's not going to work out for you you're going the wrong way you can give me that video Turn it up a little bit. Yeah. 
Thank you. Hit the mute button on that. Thank you. You're going the wrong way. Where is life taking you? The warning signs are up. Mostly through uh, two soon lines. Yeah, mostly through two soon lines, right? And you have people over there saying, you're going the wrong way. Well, they're going the same direction as you are. What are you talking about going the wrong way, right? They're on the wrong side of the road is what they, the message needed to be. So maybe the message was um, incorrect there. But as they realized what they were saying, and they, they come to the realization that they're staring death right in the face. And they realize we are going the wrong way. You know, what are they going to do about it? There's hope in Jesus Christ. There's a way to um, get away from that. And friends, let's, let this be your wake-up call before it's too late. Some of you are walking headline, headline straight into hell. And it's my hope that this will be a wake-up call, that Jesus can turn your life around. He can make things right. Some of you are sitting on the fence. Some of you got one foot over saying, well, I like the things of this world. I, like, I enjoy that, those things, but I also enjoy the fact that I could get to heaven. So I want things both ways, and I want to walk uh, that way. But Ma- Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And some of us only need a tune-up, right? Some of us are like Peter at that at the Last Supper in John chapter 13, which we talked about last week. It says, Jesus replies to Peter when he says, no, I don't want this. And then and he says, well, if you don't have this, you won't have any part of me. He says, well, then wash my whole body. 
And Jesus replies, the person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. Right, which he was talking about Judas. He knew Judas wasn't going to make it. Friends, we have an opportunity to go to our friends, our family members, and plead with them that they're going the wrong way. But if they do not understand it, there's nothing that we can do. It is their choice. We can stand in the gap with the power of Jesus Christ, and we can pray, and we can pray, and we can pray. Amen? There's nothing more stronger in this world or out of this world than the power of Jesus Christ and God our Savior, right? The peace that has we and the hope that we find in them can bring us victory through many, many trials. I will close with this for those that are on the fence, those that are going the wrong way. Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount this way as well. It says, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, it says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise, the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on excuse me, bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey is, is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and the floods come and the wind beats against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I don't want to see any mighty crashes. I'm going to pray for my enemies. I'm going to pray for those who persecute me. And I won't rejoice in their demise, but I will rejoice in the truth, just like we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Remember, Christ sets the example for us to follow in these areas. He was willing to die for us and then live and rise again. He was willing that we need to guard our hearts. We need to love our enemies. And he is the one that gives us hope. We can find our hope in Jesus Christ. It is never, ever, ever too late, friends. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the message that we have in you. We thank you that we can know you in a mighty way. Lord, I pray as we go forth that you would open up our eyes uh, to your truth, that we would see clearly uh, what you have for each one of us. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love others who cross our path, starting with our family. Lord, we ask that you would not let us miss the adventures that you have every day to live and to speak the good news about Jesus. Draw our hearts to you and people. You want us to draw close in Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and your spirit, transform our hearts into followers of Jesus who love you, who love others, who make disciples, 
who make more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.